I choose not to hesitate. How many times have you chosen to hesitate on a prompting from God? How many times has the Spirit prompted you to do something? How many times have you spent time in God's Word and you knew after spending time in God's Word, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what God has called me to do. I'm supposed to go knock on that door. I'm supposed to walk across the street and talk to that neighbor. I'm supposed to pick my family up and move them to the other side of the world. I'm supposed to stay planted where I'm at. How many times has the Spirit prompted you, yet you've hesitated? Because you needed more information. You need to see more clearly. Or in your mind, you needed to wait longer and longer and longer and longer so that you could continue to hear from God and hear from God and hear from God and hear from God. All the while, you knew this is what God wanted you to do. It was so clear. You had that moment all by yourself. Maybe you were quiet alone in your house or you're out walking through the wilderness or you're driving in your car or you're out for a run and the Spirit of God had prompted you from, from this information you had received in study or a podcast or speaking to a brother and sister in Christ. And it was so clear in that moment, like, this is it. This is what I'm called to do. This is what I need to do. This is where I need to go. And you knew clearly in that moment, if you could just go back to that moment when everything made sense. Well, then something happened. It's time passed and you continue to pray, Lord, was that you? Lord, should I go? Lord, are you sure? Lord, show me, God, show me. And he said, I already told you. I already showed you. I already given you instruction and yet you continue to hesitate. I wonder as God looks at those moments in our lives when he has already called us to it and not only called us to it, he's already waiting for us to step through it. Like he's already said, yes, yes, I got it prepared for you. Yes, there it is. And he's just waiting for us to move first instead of us waiting for him to move. And he said, I already moved. I already told you this is your path. This is the place you're supposed to go to. This is the door you're to knock. This is the phone call you're supposed to make. This is the job change. This is the place you're supposed to stay. This is the word you're supposed to speak to your wife or husband. How many of us are right there and we've been there and we say, well, let me pray about it a little longer. Let me, let me, Lord, let me pray. Let me pray. Lord. And we keep praying and we keep waiting. We keep praying. And God's saying, listen, I already said yes. It's time to move. I wonder how many of those opportunities pass us by. How many yeses we leave on the table from God because we were still waiting to hear from God. We were waiting for him to move. And he said, I already moved. I'm just waiting for you to move. And then I'll show you what I have for you. How many of you in this room in the link and listening by the internet right now are bypassing all the yeses that God already has on the table? Because you're hesitating. You need to see more. You gotta, you gotta calculate it. You gotta figure it out. You gotta, you gotta spend more time in prayer. You gotta, and God's saying, listen, just step out. And when you step, I move. Let me show you a story today of a man who had a call from God 
He spoke to him. He had to go to his leaders, and his leaders had to go to the people, and and the, the leaders then had to move, and they had a choice to make. Will I continue to hesitate, or will I move because God has called me to move, and when I move, God moves. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. The ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 to 6. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. When you find that, stand with me. We'll read God's word together out loud. Joshua chapter 3. Stand as we read God's word. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Joshua chapter 3. Let's read this out loud together. Joshua 3, verses 1 to 6. Ready, read. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set off Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. You may have a seat. Joshua gets a word from the Lord. They're going to cross over and take all these Israelites who've been wandering in the wilderness. Now he's the leader. Moses was the leader before. Joshua's now brought into leadership. He and Caleb were two of the original group that said, we can take this land. God spared their lives. Now Joshua's in position to lead his people. And he gets a word from the Lord. And the word from the Lord is, I want you to cross over the Jordan River. But the Jordan River was at flood stage. It wasn't the best time to cross the Jordan River. Joshua heard from God. He goes to his leaders. His leaders were the priests. He tells the priests, well, you're to take the Ark of the Covenant and you're to hold this Ark. And it was literally, they would grab, there'd be long rods on both sides and the Ark was a box shape in the center. And this, this contained the word of the Lord. Also, it meant that the presence of God was with you. And so when the Ark of the Covenant moved, it meant God was with them. So these priests would literally grab a hold of the Ark and carry it and walk in line together. He said, go out ahead of the people. God is with you. Go and march and go. And I want you at some point, I want you to cross over this flooded Jordan River. And when you do, we're going to see, God says, I will be with you. I'll get you across. It's in those kind of moments when God speaks to us, those kind of moments when it like, that doesn't make sense. Lord, you're sending me across a flooded river. Like, Lord, can you wait till it's dry season? Lord, send me across then. God is saying, I've already prepared the way. Now you have a choice to make. Will I hesitate or will I cross over? Because God has already promised that we'll get across here. It's in those kind of moments. Listen to me. This is very important. It's in these kind of moments when we hear from God, we should take every thought captive. Often we, we think of that in the context of take every thought captive that the enemy brings to us and then turn it into good, capture it, throw it away and replace it with the truth. But the reality is this. We're also supposed to take every thought captive that God gives us and make it obedient to him. So if God speaks to you, it's a word of obedience. 
you need to take that. I need to take that. We need to take that thought captive. Now, what is that thought that God has been prompting you? What has the spirit been telling you? Take it captive. And it says, make it obedient to Christ. God, you've called me. I'm going to make it obedient. I'm going to do what you called me to do. Joshua has to take this thought captive. This word from the Lord. Cross the Jordan River during flood stage. You see, we must believe God can before we move. Just answer this question. You don't, you don't need to speak it out loud. How many situations are you presently facing or have you recently went through where you have given up on because you had not received what you asked for? How many times have you begun to doubt instead of staying the course and trusting God because you couldn't see clearly or as clearly as you wanted to? This was a very unique group of people. And it says, and and look look quickly in chapter four and verse one, it says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, there was a million plus people, a nation of people that were called to cross this Jordan. And an army of about, the text says, about 40,000 people were to cross this Jordan and follow these priests across this Jordan. It was flood stage. They had never done anything like this before. And the Lord will do amazing things for them, the text says. The Israelites had a decision to make. Sit and wait and, and, or step out in faith. You see, how many times have have you, maybe right now, you're in a situation where you know that God has called you to do something and you're still waiting. Lord, part the river, part the river, God. Then I'll go. God, God, show me the way, God, show me the way. God's saying, listen, I've already parted the river, but you need to act first. The answer is already there. I've already done it for you. We're waiting for God to move. And here's the reality. He's waiting for us to move. The Israelites had a decision to make. God had literally backed them into a corner on the eastern shore of the Jordan River on the banks. He said, this is it. If you want to see the promised land, then you must cross over. So picture this whole nation, the text tells us, is looking at this flooded Jordan River and he's calling them. He is calling them. He's saying, you must pass through it now. Can you see why they would have hesitation? Lord, it's deep, it's wide, there's houses floating down. And you're calling me, and can you imagine these priests who had to carry the ark? Let me give you a little Old Testament reality here. If they even touched the ark, if they even bumped it, if they even got near this ark as they carried it, they would die instantly. The Bible records in the Old Testament, a man just barely bumping the Ark of the Covenant and he died. Now God is saying, now listen, I want you to walk through this flooded water, go and stand in the middle of the Jordan and I want you to hold that Ark of the Covenant and when you go out and stand, there'll come a point that I will part the river or I will put you on dry ground. Now, sometimes we, we over-spiritualize these priests. They, they're men and women just like we are. Think about it. They, they were men who got up. They were believing in their God. There had to be a point like, he's calling us to walk out there. It's hard enough to carry this thing as it is. We don't want to bump it. Now we got to stand in this river. Can you imagine what's going through their mind? I love the setting here. 
A great leader gets his people to do something they would never do on their own. And Joshua is doing that. Chapter three, look at verse six. Look what it says in chapter three and verse six. It says this, Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And he tells them, go stand in the water. if, If it seems like for you, God is not moving in your life or our lives, maybe it's because we aren't moving. Imagine the conversations among the people on the shore. Think about this. This was a group of people who had heard the stories of the Red Sea crossing, but they hadn't crossed the Red Sea because the adults that, that whined and complained didn't make it. And so this is a group of people who had a story that was told about their ancestries, about their, their grandparents and, and about their great-grandparents who had cro- who, who the, God had parted the Red Sea. This same group is now standing here and thinking, I wonder if God will do it the same way, if somehow he'll part it here. So there's a part of them that's saying he's already done this, but there's a part of them that said, wow, I also know that my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather and my mother and my father and whomever was related to them, they died because they didn't believe and they whined and they complained. You see, it is daring to go after a dream that is destined to fail unless God intervenes. And this is one of those times. They had to trust God. They had to, the, the priest had to trust Joshua. The people had to trust Joshua. And so from the, the banks of the eastern shore of the Jordan River, they're looking out, they can see the flood. And the promised land is 200 feet across this water. 200 feet. And God says, I am giving it to you. It is yours to take. The opportunity is now. Walk in it. Look what happens next. Chapter three and look at verse seven. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's water and go Go and stand in the river. Verse nine, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Prezites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. It's all the ites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be what? What does it say? Cut off and stand up in a what? Imagine that for a second. Now, this is a little different. It says, as soon as they stand in the water, the waters upstream will stop flowing and they will heap up, they will pile up. And we're gonna see it's in Adam, it's in the vicinity of Adam. So it's about 16 to 20 miles upstream. It doesn't say that it will part like it did the Red Sea. It says that 16 to 20 miles upstream, it will stop flowing. So it's gonna take some time for the water to travel 16 to 20 miles. So it meant that literally they're going to be standing in the water wet, holding the Ark of the Covenant until all the water has moved downstream. And as soon as the priests stand in the water, 
the water will be cut off from above and will stop flowing 16 to 20 miles upstream from them. So they had a choice to make. Will we trust God? The leader said, God spoke to him. The priest said, we're going to go out ahead of you. So the priests have a choice to make. They'll take the Ark of the Covenant and they'll walk out ahead of the people because it means that God is with them. And so moms and their kids and their children are on the shoreline. Dads are there. 40,000 soldiers are standing there. And God says, priests, step in. And when you do, I've often wondered as I've read this and I read it again this week, I wonder what Joshua did during this time because it says the priest stepped in first. I wonder if there was this moment as he was looking at the water he was looking at his people that God had called him to lead. He was watching his priests. I wondered if he thought, boy, I wonder if this doesn't work out. What's going to happen? What will they think of my leadership? Will I look like an absolute fool here? Did I really hear from God? Am I calling my people to something that they shouldn't be called to? Joshua is a great leader. And he has a moment where he has to make a decision. Hesitate or press forward. By the way, there is no better time than now to move. Let me just pull away and ask you a question. What is it in your life that God has been calling you to do? You know it is too. You heard from him. Maybe it was six weeks ago. Maybe it was six months ago. It could have been six years ago. And you're still praying about it. You're still trying, Lord, is this what you want me to do? And you know you're heard from me. And you're like, oh, Lord, I'm waiting until you move, Lord. I can't wait, Lord. When you move, give me a sign, Lord. Give me a sign. When you give me a sign, I'll move. And he's saying, listen, I gave you the sign six months ago. I'm waiting for you to move. And when you move, I am there with the yes to your move. So it says this in verse 14 of chapter three, look what it says. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, pause there for a second. I love what Ecclesiastes 11.4 says. It says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. These weren't perfect conditions, by the way. It was flood stage. If they could have waited, said, Lord, we're going to wait like three weeks. It's going to be about a month here, looking at the, the, the day it is. And about a month from now, Lord, we'll, we'll, when the water's down, we'll, we'll step in it then. If they would have waited, they would have missed out. There's never a perfect or a better time than now to move. So they broke camp. And as they step closer, look again at chapter three. It says this in verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped what? What's it say? Flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. At a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the sea of of Rabbah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. I'm trying to be one of these priests this week, and I was thinking about this. What that must have been like for them. You see, as they got closer, in the back of their minds, they remember the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. 
And the Red Sea was this. God parted the water before they got there, and they went, the Israelites went running across, and the Egyptians came in after them, and the water overcame them and killed them all. So there had to be something, a part of them, as they're getting closer, oh, Lord, part it. Lord, I know I'm supposed to stand there. And as they get closer, 25, 20 feet, didn't change. 15, there goes a the house. 10, there goes a the garage. Five, and they're looking at each other. Can you imagine the look on their face? They're human beings who trusted in Yahweh, who trusted in God. It'd be like any one of us who are Christ followers saying, all right, God, I believe you. Can you imagine? Maybe it was a brother. Maybe, maybe it was a friend. They had known each other. These were priests and, and they're kind of looking at each other and like, and, and the water is bubbling. You've ever been at flood stage and seen any kind of river? It's dangerous. Four feet, three feet. Oh, Lord, please, Lord, please. Part it, part it, part it. Red seat, red seat, red seat. But he didn't do it that way this time. So picture them as they began to step into this water. First two guys in, they're in the front of the ark. They had to move in farther. And the water is rolling around them and the guys behind them. And before they knew it, the water was up to the chins of their necks. Can you imagine how long it must have taken for that water upstream to stop flowing? Can you imagine thinking, well, the first two were in. I I, I bet it parts when the back two get in. Let's get in quick. And as they walked in, still flowing at full speed of a flood but 16 to 20 miles upstream, what did God do? He cut off the water. He heaped it up. And as they stood there in faith, because God had called them to the water, it began to drop to their chest, to their waist, to their ankles, and to their feet. And they stood on dry ground. Can you imagine the Israelites on the hillside watching this unfold and seeing the faith of these priests who were willing and believed that God had called them to it and it was no longer time to pray. It was time to act on what God had already promised. You see, it takes courage to go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Because people like to tell you, <laughs> I told you so, didn't I? Ever have friends like that? Well, they wouldn't dare join you in a venture, but as soon as your venture fails, they let you know. I told you. Why would you try that? You see, I personally believe this. We need to go after dreams like that. That the only way they will happen is if God intervenes. Because otherwise, it's just manufactured by man. If we can do things, figure them out, add them up, and, and, and cross all the T's and dot all the I's, we don't even need God. Who wants to be part of something that's just all manufactured by man? I want us to be part of something that unless God intervenes, it won't happen. We should have that for our marriages. We should have that for our homes. We should have that for our schools. We should have that for our own personal lives. I'll give you a, a real example. This past Easter, and it, it's every time when we have a, a big Sunday where we're going to have an evangelism call for Christ. And so we sit in our offices as pastors and we say, 
Okay, this is, this is what we believe God can do. This is what we're asking God to do. We believe that grace community, that you'll invite people to come who are unchurched, who are unsaved. We want you to. And, and so we pray, Lord, we pray that, 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 that people who, who are far from God, that they're the unconvinced people who, who haven't trusted in Jesus, we pray that somehow a friend will invite them. And so then we come to this point. We, we, we come to this point where it's a big Sunday and we say, all right, we, we're, gonna, we're gonna give this invitation. And I, I'm just being very vulnerable. I can tell you, every single time. I walk in here on a Saturday morning after we've all planned, the stage has all been set, the pieces have been bought, all the stuff, and I'm sitting here and I think, oh Lord, what happens if no one comes? Lord, what's going to happen if no one comes? There's this point where it's like, I can't and you can't and we can't, only God does the drawing. God does the saving. And there's that moment where it's like, we're going to look really foolish with 300 bottles up on the stage. Unless you come through God. But there's nothing more satisfying than leaving the auditorium that Saturday knowing, God, we did our part and we are trusting in you. We're not going to hesitate and we're going to believe. And it's that moment, and you come to the service, and you make the call, and, and you're hopeful that people respond to the gospel, and, and you hope that, that God is doing the drawing, and you, and you want them to make the commitment. And there's that part, like, I'm standing here, and I'm praying, and it's that part where, all right, I got to open my eyes. And then you see that arm, and that hand, and that person, that other person, that person, and you realize, God, it's so good to trust in you. Let me ask you a question. Where are you trusting in God in that form or fashion? How are you doing in a dating relationship? Are you trusting in God in this dating relationship? How are you trusting in God in your business? How are you trusting in God like that in your family? Where are you just saying, I am going to put my chin and have my chin up to here in water and I will drown God unless you come through. Where are you trusting God with water to your chin? Is there a place or did it used to be that way? Or now you're just coasting on all the efforts of your past and all the work that you've done and your income of the past. And you're just kind of coasting through life and you don't really need to step out of faith because you're comfortable. Listen, we need to be trusting God every single day. And unless he intervenes, we will fail. So I would say it this way, we need to act as if God is going to answer your prayer requests. That's the tipping point. Just this, we we need to act as if God is going to answer our prayer requests. So what do they do? I mean, look at verse 16, the water upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap. And then verse 17, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan, stood on dry ground, while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. See, there comes a moment, and it should happen regularly. There comes a moment when we need to make a statement of faith. And that statement of faith is, Lord, I trust in you. I'm risking it all for your name, Lord. I'm making your name great, Lord. I'm putting your name on the line so that the people around me can see, God, you are great. I wondered if any of them who stood on the shoreline began to retreat before the priests walked in. I wonder how many doubters were on the shoreline. 
I wonder how many people say, it's too high. Don't do it. Don't go. Use your child. It costs too much. You'll die. But I love reading chapter 4 and verse 10. Look what happens when they begin to cross. Chapter 10 and 4 verse 10 says, Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched, the men of Reuben and Gad and half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. Verse 12, about 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as he had stood in awe of Moses. Then it says this in verse 15, then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage just as before. Can you picture that? I I have this week. Flood stage. Everyone passes over. It took a while, I'm sure to pass a million people across Jordan River. It was about 200 feet across and put a million plus people and march them across and about 40,000 soldiers send them across. And so the whole time, these priests, by the way, not only did they have to stand in flood stage water initially, now they have to stand holding this ark. And I was picturing them, this thing's heavy. It takes a long time to move a million people. Have you ever tried to move a thousand people? 200 feet? Imagine million, two million people crossing across a river that's 200 feet across and they're still standing there. They're wet. They had had experienced God moving. Finally, they get to the other side and as soon as it says, the water upstream just burst and it went back to flood stage again. The priest stayed in the middle and gave glory to God. Look at chapter five and verse one. Look what it says. Here's why it was done. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in what? And they no longer had the what? To face the Israelites. Oh, does our world need a good dose of courage from Christians? So when people look at our lives and say, you trusted God for that? Look, you trusted God for that? And your God did that? And listen to me, not only did he do that, I, I'm not gonna mess with your God. Like they melted in fear. Now these were brave soldiers. These were brave armies. These just weren't just sent out the boys out in the front. These leaders of these other countries were men, men, men. And now they said they melted and cowered in fear because of the courage. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time your friend, your neighbor, your student, your boss, your employees, your coworkers melted in fear because of your courage in Christ? Seriously, when is the last time someone said, man, your God is big? 
big. Your God is strong. Your God is powerful. Seriously, dads, when's the last, last time you led in such a way that your neighbors, you're sitting at a sporting event and the people around you are melting in fear because of your courage for Jesus? When is the last time? When I see that, it's like, oh, Lord, please. Please, Lord, help us to be those kind of Christians that the world melts in fear because of how great you are. We let you be God and come through for us. So what's this mean to us today? What's this passage mean to us? It might mean this. The same God that did this has not run out of power. It's not like, well, he just did that for Joshua. I'm so glad you did that for Josh. That builds my faith. Our God is not limited in, in his power. See, sometimes we read this thing. He only did that in the Bible. The same God that did this can do it for you. So that we can boast in the Lord, not in us. What else might it mean? Maybe you're standing at the water's edge and it's time to get wet. Do you realize? These priests did get wet. It's dangerous. They got some bruises and some scrapes. They might have got some criticism. They might have got bumped around a little bit. People said, don't do it. And they probably got some harassment. Maybe it means you, you, you're a little bruised, you're a little wet. When's the last time you just stuck your neck on the line for Jesus Christ? And it hurt because of the journey. It might mean if we wait till every detail is worked out, then we could miss out on God coming through. Listen, he already said yes. Some of us are still praying, Lord, would you, God, would you come through? Lord, Lord, are you sure? You said that six months ago. God, are you still? It's, it's six months later, is it still yes? God's yes is yes. It might mean that sometimes God demands we move first before he moves. See, some of you are still waiting. Like, oh, someone, hey, how's it going? How's that thing going? How's that business venture going? How's that, how's that opportunity that you, that you talked about six months ago and you were so excited about, remember? How's it, how's it coming? Well, I'm just waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon the Lord to move. It's been six years, he hasn't moved yet, but I'm waiting. God already said yes. Maybe, just maybe the yes is waiting for you to move to it. It might mean that we'll never see God part our Jordan River if our feet are firmly planted on dry ground. You see, way too many of us want the front row seats to someone else's miracles, but we're not willing to step out in faith. It might mean that your breakthrough is only 200 feet away, but you must move. It's also this reality Often we pray to our knees or numb, but if our praying isn't accompanied by acting, then we won't get anywhere. The Holy Spirit already said, go, go, go. It's time to get off your knees and move. You see, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. This wasn't perfect conditions. It was flood stage. So what is 
that next, that step you need to take and act as if God has answered your prayer requests. See, I think that's what God's asking. I was challenged by a devotional that Ann and I are reading together. We're going through a 40-day journal together and draw the circle with Mark Batterson. So every day we're reading the same thing. It's, it's awesome to do it with your wife if you're married. So she's reading, I'm reading, and we're talking later about it. It's, it's a great journey together. And I was challenged by this thought this past week. Maybe we need to act as if God answered your prayer requests. Like, he already said yes. It's not, it's not that he hasn't said yes, but I believe this with all my heart, that some of us will die, and God had all these opportunities that we bypass. He already said yes to. He already said yes to. He already said yes to, but we didn't move to go get the yes. We just kept praying, oh Lord, move God, come through God, come through. Oh Lord, can you show me? He said, I already said yes. I already said go. I already did it. How many of you are still hesitating, waiting to step in when God says move? Batterson in his book this week that my wife and I read tells the story of a person who was willing to make the move, including himself. Listen to this. He says, when a drought threatened to destroy a season of crops, a rural church with many farmers in the congregation called for an emergency prayer meeting. Dozens of farmers showed up to pray. Most of them wore their traditional overalls, but one of them wore waders. He got a few funny looks, just like Noah did when he was building the ark. But isn't that faith at its finest? If we genuinely believe God is going to answer our prayer for rain, isn't that exactly what we should wear? Why not dress for a miracle? I love the simple childlike faith of that old seasoned farmer, Batterson said. He simply said, I don't want to walk home wet. And he didn't, but everyone else did. And Batterson says, I can't help but wonder if if that act of faith is what sealed the miracle. I don't know for sure, but this I do know. God is honored when we act as if he is going to answer our prayer. And acting as if means acting on our prayers. After hitting our knees, we need to take a small step of faith. And those small steps of faith often turn into giant leaps. He goes on to tell this story. He says, a year before we purchased the old crack house on Capitol Hill that we turned into Ebenezer's coffee house and his church, I took an $85 step of faith. And I believe this $85 step of faith set us up for the $3 million miracle that happened many years later where the building is at today. I was at an auction where items were being sold to benefit our children's school. Most people were bidding on class projects or tickets or sporting events or vacations, not me. I had my eye on one item, a book on Capitol Hill zoning codes, donated by the Capitol Hill Restoration Society. I knew I could buy a copy for less money after we got a contract on the property, but I felt I needed to demonstrate my faith and purchase it before we got the contract. If we weren't able to get the property, it would be a complete waste of money. But I believe that God was going to, that God was going to give us this. So I acted on it by making an $85 bid. I got the book and a few months later, we got the contract on the property. Sometimes we need to take an $85 step of faith just to show God that we're serious. It proves our faith. Don't just pray about your dream. 
Act on it. Act as if God is going to deliver on his promise. Maybe it's time to put on the waders and act as if God is going to answer. Maybe it's time to make an $85 down payment on your dream. So how can we do that? I wrote down some ways. Maybe these hit where you're at today. Maybe you need to hire the employee for the new venture for your company is longing to do. Maybe you need to hire the employee before the company breaks and takes off. Lord, you promised this. I believe this, God. I'm putting them on my payroll. I'm believing. I'm acting. Because you called me to it, and I believe this is the dream. Maybe you need to move money so that you can act fast on that dream house. You move it from an interest-bearing account to liquid assets so you can write a check. Lord, (laughs) as soon as I get the call, I got it ready. Maybe you need to buy the passport so you can travel on a mission trip. Oh, I want to go, Lord. I love going on a mission trip. And then send me, Lord, Lord, I'll go anywhere. I'm ready. I'm prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks with gentleness and respect, but you don't even own a passport. How can you be ready to go if you're, listen, if you call yourself a Christ follower in the world today and you don't have a passport, go get one. You're not ready. Maybe you need to order the shoes for the dance team you've been auditioning for. Lord, you're giving me this gift to dance. He didn't give it to me, by the way. He's giving this gift. (laughs) He gave it to Isaiah and Hannah. Maybe he needs to go out and buy these shoes. Like, I'm going to go out for this audition. And you bought the shoes because you believe that God's going to put you on that team. Maybe you need to purchase the swimsuit for that dream vacation, ladies. He keeps talking about it, but he keeps doing all his stuff. He keeps saying, we're going on vacation one day. Well, I'm buying the suit. And three times a week, you put it on in front of him. (laughs) Maybe, just maybe... You paint the room for that yet-to-be-adopted child or yet-to-be-born child. Maybe you, you haven't had, been able to have babies. And you're infertile. And you're married. and You long to be a mama. You've prayed and you prayed and you prayed. You keep trying, you keep trying, you keep trying. But it seems like that's just not the path that God has for you. So, Lord, I still want to be a mom. So you go paint that room blue. Pink. Tell him what you want. And you go to that room and say, Lord, if I can't have one, we're going to adopt a child. And one day, I'm going to be a mom. You act as if it happened because God birthed that dream in your heart. He already said yes. Maybe, just maybe, you pick out the ring set for the bride-to-be, and you're single. But you know that God has placed that on your heart. You want to be married. He hasn't called you to singleness. And you long, and you've been waiting, and, you, and you're, you're, you're not settling. I'm not talk, telling settle. You want a woman who's chasing after Jesus Christ with all of her heart. And you know because that's what you've been praying about, Lord. 
Let me meet that woman, Lord. Let me meet that woman, Lord. I long to meet a gal and court her and care for her and love her. And then, Lord, I would love to marry a woman and spend the rest of my life with her. Listen, swords, jewelers on Main Street. <laughs> Go on the next couple of weeks. Say, hey, what are you looking for? Tell me, what's she like? I don't know, but this is what I want her to be like. <laughs> and you buy the ring set. Every day you bring it home, make sure they can resize it. Every day you come home and you say, Lord, you put this dream in my heart. I'm not settling. I'm chasing after Jesus. I'm not settling. I'm not settling. I love you and I'm going to love someone for the rest of my life who loves Jesus. Lord, I'm acting. Now, where's the yes? And then just start looking. Maybe you register for that road race or Tough Mudder or maybe it's a triathlon that seems impossible because you've had these ailments. Like you keep complaining, my calf, I'm I'm overweight, can't do this, can't do that. Maybe you go sign up and you pray for good health and you work your way back into health and you put it on the, the calendar. You put it out there. Instead of saying, one of these days I'm going to run one. You get your iPhone out and you say, bam, this day. And you order the shoes. You you pay for the race. Say, God, that's a desire and dream I have. You haven't taken away. I long to be part of that community and I long to be healthy. Maybe, just maybe, you buy the nameplate for that job you've been praying for. You go and you get it done real nice and Maybe you, want to be, maybe you want to be an artist. Maybe you want to be a teacher. Maybe, maybe you want to be an architect. Maybe you want to be an engineer. Maybe you want to be a mom. Maybe you want to be a dad. And, and you just put mom, dad, architect. And you put your name, Jim Brown, and you sit on your couch at home and you put it on the coffee table and you look at it. <laughs> Lord, that's the dream you put in my heart. It's done. Maybe... You make the phone call instead of waiting for them to call you. Well, how's that, how's that opportunity out there you've been waiting on? I'm still waiting on the call. Well, didn't they say that they were interested? Yeah, I'm still waiting on the call. Get your phone out and... <laughs> Maybe you buy the letter jacket in school, for the band, for, for sports, for academics, for that letter that you've yet to earn, but you know you want one. And you say, God, I got the coat. Give me the chance. Maybe it's something as simple as this. You, you like golf and you order the cover for the driver that you long to own. You get the cover, it's like $9.95 and the driver's $449.95. And you have it in your room. You say, one of these days, I believe. You see, we gotta get our feet wet first. Maybe, just maybe. I believe this is all my heart that there are hundreds of people in this room today that God is saying, it's, it's already there. <laughs> Listen, stop talking about it. Listen, you've prayed about it enough. 
Listen, it's, it's like, like, I already said yes. Do you remember that moment when you were all alone when I said that? And you've let all these voices of other people and all these things stop you. And he says, listen, it's there. Just stand in the water and get wet. You see, it's time that we choose not to hesitate any longer. Maybe you put your house on the market when it doesn't make sense to anyone else because God told you that he has something else out there for you. For sale. Zillow. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help us today. I believe with all of my heart, God, that there's enough faith in this room to move (laughs) a mountain. Lord, some of us, we live like you're not able to. We lack courage. We walk in fear. And yet, we're the children of the resurrected God who have been radically saved. I pray, God, that we would get off off our knees and that we would move today. I pray that we would act as if you are going to come through. God, we believe. Sometimes we believe in our heads, but we don't move our feet. God, help us to stand in the flood stage water of the Jordan if that's what it calls for to not let another opportunity be left on the table. Because if you say go, Lord, we will go. In Jesus' name, amen.